Hey, everybody, do you want to experience the podcast in person in real time? We have an opportunity if you are in the Portland metro area. We are connecting with the Just Create community and we are going to go see Armageddon Time when it comes out on November 4th. We're going to go see the movie and then we're going to go out to dinner and talk about it. It's going to be like the podcast. So if that's something that sounds fun for you, email me at Christy at dodgemediaproductions.com. That email will be in the show notes and you will get more information and we'll find out when the when we're going and what time and, and what theater. So if you're interested, shoot me an email and we'll get you looped into what we're going to do. Thanks. You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts. So this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 88, and we are talking about the Ryan Johnson film Knives Out, written and directed. It came out in 2019, and it's a Lionsgate film, and it has a huge cast, so buckle up. Daniel Craig, I'm going to do these in the order they are, but I wouldn't think that this is the order. Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Lakeith Stanfield, Christopher Plummer, Catherine Langford, Jaden Martell, Ricky Lindholm. The synopsis for this film is a detective investigates the death of the patriarch of an eccentric combative family. There we go. Who would have a house like that? Except, of course, a murder mystery author. I know. Wasn't that house? That house was its own character, wasn't it? Kind of, yeah. I have five taglines for you this, this week. Lame on me. Okay. Everyone has a motive. No. No one has a clue. Ooh, I like that. That one's in the leader. That's oh, the leader yeah, that's in the clubhouse. Strong entry. Okay. Hell, any of them could have done it. <laughs> Not no. as strong. Not okay, strong sweet. at all. Okay. Nothing brings a family together like murder. Yeah. It's a cl- it's second though. I like Yeah, yeah, it's second, the first one definitely. First one's still strong. Okay. This one's more marketing. Orion Johnson who done it? Oh, that goodness. seems lazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, somebody phoned that in. The PA did that one. Okay. Comes a who done it like no one's ever done it. Oh, no. Blech. Yeah, that that's that's the executive, the studio executive. Yes, somebody got one. a visit from the good idea yeah. fairy as you first say. First one's awesome. The first one is it, right? Yeah. Everyone has a motive. No one has a clue. Oh, great. Yeah. So I did a little deep dive like I do or I try to do with all the films as time allows in my schedule to watch some behind the scenes, some interviews. And I recognized Ryan Johnson's name, but I didn't really know other films that he had done. But it was kind of cool. He's a huge Agatha Christie fan. And he also was a Hitchcock fan. So I thought that was kind of funny because we did mm-hmm. Murder on the Orient Express and then North by Northwest last week. And he said that he liked how Hitchcock believed in suspense, not surprise. And so he thought that a film much like Agatha Christie, where it's just storytelling and then at the end you 
get your big reveal. He wanted to create like like we noticed in about 40 minutes, we know who killed who. But now you spend the rest of the film as it unravels. And he said, I want it to be a roller coaster, not a crossword puzzle. Yeah, I think we actually know. I think we see the death even earlier than that very quickly, probably in act one. And it's interesting that he said Agatha Christie and not Arthur Conan Doyle Uh because, and again, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the film, then, well. Yeah, this is a spoiler-filled episode. This is the wrong wrong podcast. But he notices a tiny speck of blood on her shoe. That's a very Holmesian observation. Now, did he, I thought that was just supposed to be for the audience, but he noticed it? At the very end. Daniel Craig's character? Yes, Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc. At the very end of the film, or close to the end of the film, her character, Marta, says, how did you know? Oh, okay. And yeah. he points to her little white shoe. Yeah. Which we saw it earlier, but you're saying he yeah. is admitting at the end that he saw it at the beginning. So he knew she was involved. What's, uh, I mean, very homesy about that is that it could be from anything. Even if a person could have noticed that small speck of blood on someone else's shoe, he never, you know, like did any sort of DNA testing. Right. It could have been, she could have gotten a paper right. cut. And I'll allow this because it works for the film, but did she have no other shoes right. that she could wear? So that to me was more Holmes than Christie. That like I noticed that detail. Yeah. <laughs> like I go into Foghorn Leghorn too. But yeah, some people apparently were critical of Daniel Craig's accent. Yeah, he's such a character. Who cares what it's supposed to be? It's just right. it is. It's that character's accent. I, yeah, I, I I don't have a problem with it. And he and Ryan went over Daniel Craig, you know, being Southern and using that Southern accent. Okay, so calling back to uh, our friend Dustin's film where my question to him was about the Irish accent not sounding terribly Irish and then he said no they worked with a vocal coach to make it sound like somebody who had immigrated and so their accent was fading right we don't know the backstory in that Benoit Blanc character right who knows why he would have an accent that doesn't sound perfectly Nolans or perfectly Alabama I, I don't have a problem with it people who do I think are being grumpy yes I agree I agree so this film was a huge hit I mean spoiler to the by the numbers but I haven't heard I haven't heard a lot of people who when you bring this up like when I told people that we were talking about this film they were excited so the cinematography of this film is really cool and I have a great story for you okay lean on me okay I was listening to Ryan and he worked with a cinematographer that he has worked with since high school well he had good talented friends in high school yes and you will know understand why he stuck with this guy so one of the things that Mike does <laughs> is he will look for the lighting in people in characters pupils mm-hmm. like a normal person <laughs> no, I don't think <laughs> listeners write in and tell me if that's normal this this Mike guy and I are going to be good friends I think okay so there a lot of people a lot of the characters in this film wore glasses and so glasses are even more telling oh, they're horrible than pupils yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Tundra reflection. And so obviously the cinematographer is annoyed with all of the light panels that can be seen. Right. Like when I pause the film and say, oh, look, they had two kinos because you can see it right there. Right. So what he did is he built, I'm looking for the picture to show Mike and I will put oh, this in the I, show I'm notes. I'm so excited. 
He built panels that went in front of the lights. I don't know how this didn't cast a shadow. No, it, it, it wouldn't cast a shadow. It would it would affect the the light, but that's basically like an octobox or a grid. Yeah. Oh, Except for he awesome. did it to mimic the the windows that would have been in that house. It's just black tape on, you know, a, a white panel. Oh. So that when you look when he's shooting Jamie Lee Curtis and she's wearing glasses, you see the reflection of the window, which is actually the light. I may have a new cin- favorite <laughs> cinematographer. This guy's awesome. And that photo that you found, I could stare at that for 10 minutes. Look at all that production porn there is there. Okay. I want you to appreciate how much I love you and knew you would love this. When he referenced it, I went back in his Twitter to 29- November of 2019. Oh, thank you for researching that producer. To find that picture for you. Oh, that is so awesome. <laughs> so that will be on our website, our newly refurbished, well, just the page, not the whole website, but I've been working hard on the podcast section of our website so you guys can have all these tidbits that I'm I find. I'm kidding. I'm going to go look up his name as soon as we're done recording <laughs> and commit it to memory. And if I can find contact info for this homie, I'm going to friend him on Insta or something. This is so awesome. So the one, I don't know, this might be more editing than cinematography, but when Walt, played by Michael Shannon, is walking back and forth and he's kind of cornering Marta, I, I kind of, I kept waiting for some significance other than just building tension, but they be, they kept cutting back to the tip of his cane on the carpet and then they would cut back to him and her face and then they would go back to, do you remember this scene? I don't remember the shot of the cane tip. They oddly. did it like four or five times. I mean, I, it oh, was... I trust you. I just, I, I, I asked you this while we were fil- watching the film, paused actually to ask this and never got the answer. Why is Michael Shannon's left foot in the, the boot, the Velcro? We never really find thing. out. We don't. Fascinating. I know. <laughs> so, but that speaks to interesting that you had said it was written by Ryan Johnson. Yes. And I don't believe it was based on a book. It no. was a u- original content. I believe it's original from him. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. Because as we mentioned in Mr. Holmes, which was based on a book, I think the time scale for novels and screenplays is different. So if you're going to have something that's intricately plotted, it, it's much harder, I think, to do it in the time frame as well as in the the the, the uh, like a number of words that you have in a screenplay. So massive credit to him if he wrote this completely by himself. Wow, that's really... he did. He started in January of 2019, and the first draft was turned in in June of that same year. Then they knew they wanted Daniel Craig, and he happened to. They must have had some tweaks because then in September they found out that he was going to have three months of a break. He was going to do probably the most recent Bond, the Bond that got held up through all the pandemic. But and so he was going to have a three month break in at the end of 2019. So they had six weeks of pre-production and then they were going to film with Daniel Craig. And once they got Daniel Craig, then they pretty much got everybody else they wanted because everybody wanted to work with Daniel. And then once you get like, oh, we have Michael Shannon. Oh, now everybody wants we have Jamie Lee Curtis. We have Tony Collette. Like then everybody. Plummer. Right. 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 Now, you, you know this. Sadly, Mr. Plummer is no longer with us, but if I ever did get to work with him, there would be an incessant number of Sound of Music callbacks. <laughs> Which he would hate. He probably would not appreciate them, 
my. I thought you were the one that told me he was ashamed or embarrassed. Well, he was upset. I I I had read that he he was not very happy about it, and then subsequently I read that he'd kind of turned the corner a bit. So, but I could see that how if you weren't a musical theater actor and that's kind of what you're known for, you're like, look, I do all this other stuff, and this is what I'm known for. So, but I thought he did a fantastic job in this film. Yeah, I particularly loved when there's a scene where he's like making fun of Marta's reticence. Oh no, I'm 85. I'm so frail. Right. He was actually like 90 when he was acting, 85. Right. When do you see a 90-year-old actor play young? <laughs> right? <laughs> you hardly ever see that. So good job, right. buddy. Right. I like how, you know, right away we're getting the interviews. And so we're starting to learn the characters, the intricacies, the family members, how they feel about one another. Uh, oh. one another. Jamie Lee Curtis is proud that she has built her industry kind of all right. on her. I mean, but with daddy's money, then Michael Shannon is proud. But then as she says, what? My dad hands him a book and he publishes it. So this is partly writing and partly editing. Yeah. When uh, they're first interviewing everyone, uh-huh. the character played by Lakeith is leading the interview. But we, we do see Benoit Blanc in the back. Right. Yeah. But they use the cutting from the family member back to the detectives to switch family members. Yes. Yes. Right? I like that. And so too. that was startling. But then speaking of that, there was this great part where Jamie Lee Curtis gets really irate as her character, right? Whichever uh, thromby it was. And and she says, you think you're going to trick me into divulging like family secrets? And they cut to the detectives and then they cut back to Don Johnson as that idiot. And he just spills the beans. <laughs> and it, to me, that I didn't remember that from the first viewing. It was like, that's a funny gag with the edit. Yes. Right. Yeah. I noticed they did that a couple times. You would they did they did that one other time because they would cut to and it was Jamie Lee. Her yeah. character's name was Linda Drysdale. Linda, that's right. Linda, and her husband and was Richard. Richard Drysdale, and then right. Chris Evans was Ransom Drysdale. Yeah, although he made everyone call him Hugh. So I have to say they never paid off that joke, and I think it was an allusion to something that's very popular when I was younger with idiots like my dumb buddies. But there is actually a guy at college whose name was Bruce Jorgen. But everyone called him Hugh Jorgen. Ah, ha, ha, ha. So I thought that's what he was doing when they said he made the the help call him Hugh. I was thinking, oh, he was that kind of kind of amateurish, you know, immature, young, rich kid who thought it was funny. A dick joke is funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As the interviews unfold, the audience becomes aware of some of the suspects. And we still, even at an hour and 30 minutes in, we don't know who has hired LeBlanc. Oh, like an Agatha Christie story, it all reveals yeah, at, the at, end. at the end, really. And Ryan said that he said that, yes, as a nod to the Agatha Christie that you have, what was his first name? Blanc LeBlanc. Benoit. Benoit LeBlanc. So I made a note here, which I didn't catch the first time I watched this film. Mm-hmm. So credit to Ryan Johnson that it's rewatchable. A lot of times, suspense films aren't rewatchable because you know who did it. Right. Right. But they established that Harlan Thrombey, played by Christopher Plummer, he's a mystery writer. He likes to play games with everyone. And basically, he's playing a game from beyond the grave. He's playing a game with Benoit Blanc. He has set up this cover-up of what happened, and he has the game that's going on. So I thought that was really well done, that there were multiple games being played throughout the plot. And to weave those 
senior cut again credit to johnson what a fantastic job of writing absolutely i just looked up what other films he was known for looper did you oh, watch yeah. that mm-hmm. uh, let's see star wars i he guess did, he eight? did star wars yeah and brick i've never heard oh, of that and two, from 2005 brick he did three episodes of breaking bad i'm not seeing a ton that i no. recognize yeah. he looks almost like a you know like an overnight wonder kind of because mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. see he mm-hmm. did a video short in 1990 probably with that same cinematographer he did a bunch of shorts basically his first looper is his first in 2012 i want to see bruce willis and uh, uh, gordon levitt mm-hmm. so and then that's pretty amazing then seven years later he gets knives out right yeah well done though gotta give the guy credit yeah because this is a great movie and i was gonna save it for the end but i'm super excited to see the next one called glass onion it comes out in theaters november 23rd so in a little over a month and then it'll be on netflix december 23rd so merry christmas to everybody well that's what we can do on christmas day instead of going to the theater we can watch i don't know if i can i i mean we have that regal unlimited i want to go see glass onion in theaters i love the way you think that's awesome (laughs) i'm in (laughs) we see it for free mike loves to say if there's a gun in the first act it'll be used in the third act and i think that was technically chekhov who brought that up originally okay mike repeats chekhov i do and i wrote in my notes if there's a recorder somebody used the recorder (laughs) app on their phone in the first act then there will be a recorded confession in the third act very well yes (laughs) i think they twice show us the phone early in the film to set that up and credit again to the writing and editing is that we then don't see it again yeah until it's actually necessary and then speaking of that and my other favorite book ended and this is quite literally a bookend because it's almost the first thing we see is this coffee mug that says oh yeah my house my rules my coffee right and then at the very end marta is holding it and i believe that we see her come out on the balcony people who are paying attention can see she has that mug Mm -hmm. cut to the people the family members down below they look up above then it's a close-up more of her and then a, a extreme close-up of, of that coffee cup, yeah. mug showing that now it's her house her rules her coffee and that coffee cup got so much popularity that you can you can buy it now <laughs> nice merchandising yeah <laughs> i think you probably could already buy a stage knife where the blade goes into the handle but they could have also that would that. be another good one yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we just noted that unlike a traditional mystery, how like 40 minutes in is when we found out what had happened. And then about an hour, we see that he left all his assets to Marta. And so, so now what are the kids going to do? So then we still had a whole, that's only halfway through the movie. We still had another hour to kind of let the rest of the story unfold. Yeah. And part of that to me was again with the house that that was a key part kind of like you said its own character that they were going through trying to explain these various and sundry things and good credit to the filmmakers writers actors editors that again even though I knew what happened Uh I still had that tension of I kind of didn't want Benoit to figure it out oh 
wow, that's interesting. Even though, as you've established, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Anna Darmus's work as an actor. So it's not necessarily that I was into the Marta character. I think it was Christopher Plummer's because it was his wish uh-huh. was you know oh. to, to kind of to, so that nobody would unnecessarily take the fall. So that whole time I'm like, oh, you know, I hope he doesn't find out because then she'll get in trouble. Even though I knew how the movie ended, it was still, I think, good filmmaking because they had me. They got me in emotional. Yeah. It's so funny because you talk about how you don't have a good memory. This was like watching the movie for the first time. I totally forgot a lot of things. <laughs> and so I was like, wait, who who did it? Who hired Benoit? Like, what happened? <laughs> Do you really want to know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can tell me later. Okay. But you were talking about the house being a character and like, I, I don't know if it's because it is fall here in Oregon and the leaves are changing. I loved the scenery outside. I loved that it was obviously like a crisp fall day. Dogs were running around outside. Like you said, when you said the house was a character, I think of like the lattice that as she's climbing up, she mm-hmm. breaks and, and the interiors. I mean, and that knife sculpture, I don't know what you would call it. Artwork. <laughs> like what? I don't... <laughs> I thought I always thought it was part of the chairs that they were sitting in. But then in the second watch, it was like it was just in the background. Yeah, I called it in my notes a sculpture. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it seems fairly odd. And even if I hadn't already seen the film, Uh my first thought was not having that many weapons close to hand (laughs) with these people. (laughs) Right? It seems poor, poor. It'd be like just leaving loaded guns laying around that house you, you, don't, you don't want that oh but that's a good question maybe the only ones that came off were the prop knives you thought ahead so ryan johnson said that he did one of the knives had this beautiful handle intricate handle and he took it so i have watched every episode of forged in fire uh-huh. which means i'm not a knife expert but i can play one on tv now okay and looking at all those that that looks like the wall on forged in fire yeah. all the different knives that they could have so my question is who made them. Yeah. And I do wonder if it's one of the judges from Forged and Fire because right. I know several of them have worked for the movies because there aren't many people who make blades anymore. There aren't that many. I hate to burst your bubble. They were all probably painted pieces of wood. Oh my gosh. You're probably <laughs> right. The props department just... <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, somewhere Jane Nielsen turned over in his bed like, <laughs> no! <laughs> if I find out, I'll let you know. Okay. Alrighty. Did we have any head trauma in this film? We didn't have head trauma in the film, but in a bit of irony, Mr. Plummer died from hitting his head in a fall. So that's the cause of death oh, of, Christopher of Christopher Plummer as a person. <gasps> oh, he fell and hit his head. It just got dark. It did. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was just old age. Well, perhaps, but the proximate cause was a bump wow. to the Oh, rest At this in peace. point, I like to remind people, have a wobble board workout. <laughs> and, if up. You, and if you need any wobble board advice. I'm your man. You can ask my co-host. Yeah, yeah. I'm very curious oh. if our if our cinematographer, Mike, has a wobble board workout. I need to get a hold of him and maybe that's, I'll send him one with a bow on. There you go. That, that can be your gift of appreciation for his. So I did have a, a question about sets. Yeah. We talked about the house, but then Marta lives somewhere. It looks like it's maybe an apartment. I would say so. Or like a duplex. Right. Yeah. 
So later in the film, Michael Shannon's character, Walt, says his name Walt? It was Walt. He ambushes her in a back hallway. So she was coming out with some, the, the reporters were on the front stoop and she wanted to escape from the press. So she went in the back door and he did in the hallway there. Right? Yeah. I'm it wondering. had the strangest lights ever. Oh, interesting. So they were about face height on the wall. Each one was maybe 18 inches long by maybe four inches tall. And there was just a bunch of them horizontal line along the wall. This immediately bumped me. They weren't leading lines? Well, they served as that, but they didn't make any sense architecturally. First you would all, not have lights that low is what you're saying. Yeah, not on the wall. You put them in the ceiling. They wouldn't be that many that close together. Like to me, it, it would obviously look like the hallway is too dark. We have to light it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was just going to say. I was like, really, guys? I don't know. It just it, it, it bumped it, you. It, it, it took me out of the film. OK, well, I will if I have time, look and see if I can find it behind the scenes. Yeah. So now I'm thinking set production that yeah, somebody in like property design or something. They, There's a reason they're at home listening to this podcast, shouting and throwing their. I told them they wouldn't look practical. My house, my rules, my coffee mug across the room. Yeah. Oh, I so. told you no one would would believe this. Yeah. And I'm I'm the one that supports the theory because it did bump me. Anywho, I, I think as a general rule, the, the the house house was was awesome. Oh, so cool. So cool. All right. We didn't. I don't think we had a love connection. No. There was no love interest. Not really. Really. No. And in so fact, no I think smooch. that the married people didn't like each other much. No. <laughs> Really? Yeah. yeah, I'm uh, trying. We do we have a photo of Don Johnson's character kissing his unnamed <gasps> hussy? But you know what? I even got confused because I thought that was Marta. Right. Yeah. Are we supposed to think it's Marta? Perhaps the actress who's credited has a name that would seem to be Ecuadorian, Uruguayan, Peruvian, whatever they kept calling her. Poor Marta. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was kind of a funny gag. It, it, too, was, a, nobody... it was a funny, subtle gag. Yeah. 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 Did you get that the son of Michael Shannon and Rick? Lindholm. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, the son, right? Thromby. His name was... Marcus? Anyway, did you get that he was a, a Nazi? N- no, I got that. The character played by Catherine Langford, who I only know from Love, Simon, I think. She looked familiar. She but... was in th- 13 Reasons. Okay. She is established to be a far left extremist, social yes. justice warrior, and she calls him a Nazi. Oh, okay. I think that's the only true Nazism... We see that Ricky Lindholm's character is very conservative, yeah. kind of waspy, to yeah. use the term. So I just interpreted that to be the perspective of Tony Collette's character and Catherine Langford's character called him a Nazi oh, relative okay. to their extremist left policies. Well, because I saw an interview with a bunch of the actors and the kid, it was cute, he goes, hey, if I get to play with Christopher Plummer, I'll, <laughs> I'll be a Nazi. And then Jamie Lee Curtis broke in and said Nazis are na- are made not born and so you have to blame the parents. <laughs> well, again great callback because what is a plot point in the sound of music but Nazis, <laughs> right? So he could play Rolf. Right, there you go. <laughs> All right, let's see there was a little driving. Do you have a there driving? Was some driving. 
driving. I do I do have some driving review. First note is the 2007 Hyundai Accent is actually a reasonable car for Marta to yes. drive. It was the budget Hyundai at the time and was very popular for that, for low cost. I like the touch that it has damage on the driver's side door, right? There's a scene where Ransom and Marta are in that car looking at the burnt down wreckage of the testing lab mm-hmm. and she throws a U-turn. And my question is, for a car that small, how is the turning radius that big? <laughs> it was nuts. But there was a part where I originally was was going to make note of this as being not accurate. And then I did some research. She's trying to flee from, from the police. And he says, like, go faster. She said, I'm going as fast as I can. And it shows the speedometer at like 60. The accent in 2007, that had a 96 horsepower engine. So pretty realistic. She can't go that fast. And she certainly I, can't accelerate. I kept, I liked this. You'd get an overhead, an, like an overhead shot, like a crane right. shot or a drone shot of her car. And the cops were like slowly gaining on her. Right. <laughs> she <And she's>, was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'd have to look it up. But the 1981 Honda Accord hatchback that I drove in high school maybe didn't even have 96 horsepower. So, And I did think the casting worked well. There's a 2019 Porsche Cayenne that is driven by Jamie Lee Curtis's character and Don Johnson's character, Linda and Richard, which I think establishes that they have money and they're kind of pretentious. And then that BMW that Ransom drives, what a perfect piece of of accoutrement for a trust fund kid. Right. Right. Absolutely. So I really did enjoy that. And I have to say credit to the writing because at one point he has to turn around and he basically just drives up on a slope and a rich kid would take that car off-roading. Right. Um, He wouldn't have any regard. No one else would. Right. Exactly. Thank you for that. All right. So we go to the numbers. Let's go to the numbers. Okay. So in light of looking at his IMDb, I'm surprised that Lionsgate gave him $40 million. Now, maybe Looper was a huge success and and he had proved himself. I think, I don't know the box office, but I seem to recall it was critically acclaimed. Right. And maybe, I guess Star Wars had to be in there. So maybe he proved himself. Was Star Wars before Knives Out, right? Yeah. 2017. So he had proved proven himself, right? That's That's true. Oh yeah. Star Wars. Well, he probably got back in, so he's probably rolling in the money himself. Right. So they gave him $40 million and he multiplied it by almost eight times that. Oh yeah. So they were, they were okay. That's why he got a That's sequel. why he got glass on you. Yeah. <laughs> Do it again, Ryan. <laughs> so domestically, it brought in $165 million. Worldwide, it brought in wow. 300, almost $313 million. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good It's a film. good flick. Yeah. It got a 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb. Critics, that's a little low. A little low, but IMDb runs low. So for IMDb, that's pretty good. Critics loved it on Rotten Tomatoes, gave it a 97% and audiences followed suit. A little bit lower than that, though, at 92%. This one is also an investment, much like North by Northwest. It is two hours and 10 minutes, but I would say it holds up pretty good. It didn't, it doesn't really drag. I don't feel like it drags at all. Uh uh-uh. So it's PG 13. The whole family can watch it. In fact, Ryan adjusted. There's a scene where Chris Evans was supposed to say F you to a bunch of the family members. It would have been a lot of Fs. But the full word, not just the letter. Yes. Yeah. And so there's some people that listen to this podcast that don't like that word. So I was trying to be. Right. And I was being clear. 
clear. Okay. He, Chris Evans would have said the whole word. The whole word multiple times. Yes. And so they changed it so that you can sit around the, the couch and have some popcorn and enjoy this one with your family. This comedy crime drama. It won 52 awards. There were so many I didn't even bother listing them. And it got 114 nominations. So th- this one was a hit. It's a hit. It's a hit. So that's why we picked it for mystery, even though it's not really an indie film. Although with his lack of like short amount of credits, maybe it gets a little indie cred because he doesn't have a long and established Hollywood backstory or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like a long history with the studio. So he probably still has a little bit of indie vibe. Right. And I have to say for not being familiar with his work in the few interviews, he seemed very down to earth in this one. He was, he was wearing this jacket that it looked like he had had since he was in like high school. Since he met the cinematographer. (laughs) Yeah, it was just, so he seems like a really down to earth kind of guy. So this film was filmed largely in Massachusetts. So I will say that Knives Out was largely filmed in Massachusetts. Not a lot of Boston accents there, but okay. But uh, that house was beautiful. So good job to the uh, location scouts on this one. Alrighty, guys, next week we're going to talk about The Usual Suspects. We're going to revisit that one, see what we think now. We both saw it a long time ago, so we're going to give it another watch, and that will wrap up Mystery Month, and then we will head into Bromance Month, the month of November. Oh, nice. For, what is it? Movember. Movember. That's why we picked it. We're going to do that, and then, like I said, we are putting the final touches on next year. We have a lot of great plans for you all, some ways to highlight some of our other abroad listeners and to highlight the different countries that listen to the podcast, which is growing every day. And we thank you very, very much. So with that, never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 